So this is Jean Nathan. It is Crosstown Conversations for this week. And it is a very important week because it is your last chance to see some of the most extraordinary work that we have had on view in town in a long time. It's beautiful, beautiful artwork, very powerful, very substantive and very relevant to the era that we live in. So I, I urge you all to pay attention to the Prospect 5 schedule, go online, get the details and get out there. Um, and also um, there's a lot else going on in town because the context for Prospect in New Orleans is really so robust and growing despite the pandemic and Ida and everything else we've been through for the past two years. Uh, resilience is our nickname and um, the artists of the city reflect that more than um, any other discipline really in so many ways. But they were also hit two ways uh, during this pandemic, uh, both in their uh, ability to show and exhibit and uh, perform their work, but also in terms of their hospitality day jobs. So um, it, it's been a rough year for all of us. And I'm so sorry for Diana, Nawi, and Naima Keith, who are the curators for the Prospect Show, that this has been such a rough year for getting people out to see things. And my husband and I, we both just had our run with COVID. And so, um, you know, I just, uh, even though we're out of it, I still kind of don't feel like doing, going anywhere. And so I'm gonna miss some great things tonight, for example. But I would like you all to start with telling me about um, kind of the birth of this particular show, uh, the inception of it, and, and some of the ideas that uh, shaped in your mind as you put this together, whether they came from elsewhere and or here, and of course in our time. So uh, give me kind of a little bit of an introduction, both of you, to um, how this particular show came together. It is so beautiful and so powerful. I mean, I'm really um, blown away by it. So I, I, I want to understand um, how you put this together. Well, let me just start by saying thank you so much for having us. It's like really, I mean, as you indicated, it has been such a journey and this week just feels so intense kind of to already be at the close of an exhibition that had so many kind of false starts and um, we're just really uh, in gratitude to you for kind of shining a light on the work that we've been trying to do and I think, you know, you kind of remarked that we hadn't had a chance to connect. And I think that's a little bit how Naima and I have been feeling this year is just like, there's a lot of lost opportunities, I think, in terms of some of the conversations we wanted to have and the, you know, just being on the ground in a, in a way that felt meaningful. I think some of that, you know, really got undermined by yeah, just these extraordinary events of the past few years. So thank you very much. And thank you for your kind words on the show, just to to start and say say that. Yes, yeah, thank you. So yeah, Naim and I have been working on this triennial, which is a three-year <laughs> endeavor for four years. So, uh, and I think you know the four world years, has wow. yeah yeah it's been a long time twenty eighteen and that's a I college think, that's a college time. yeah but yeah uh, right we are You're educated <laughs> right <laughs> framed in that way but yes exactly. You yes. could have had a whole other degree. Yeah, yeah, I think we do in some ways. School hard knocks for <laughs> sure. But uh, yeah, I, you know, I think on the one hand, I think that, you know, the, the world has changed so much in ways we could have just never foreseen. And on the other hand, I think at the core of the show was a, a kind of question about these, this idea of things being unprecedented and extraordinary 
and sort of um, thinking about that cyclical nature of history and some of what we're seeing is truly, you know, being repeated and the kind of rise in certain kinds of violence and certain kinds of social inequity and, and the kind of unveiling of that and the kind of political torment and violence and, and that we've seen in the last few years. But obviously the pandemic, you know, while it has echoes in history, is not something any of us have lived through something like this. But I think some of what we learned and thought about in, in New Orleans around questions of survival and questions of community and questions of what the role of culture is in the face of, of keeping living memory and uh, bringing us together in the face of this. I think those things feel, feel, have felt relevant four years ago and continue to feel relevant here in the closing week. So I think that's sort of at the core of what we've been thinking about, but it's certainly, uh, you know, just been a, a reflection of its moment, which has just been so, so multifaceted and complicated. You know, when we when we began talking about the exhibition, as you know, we we pointed out four years ago. Um, we we thought the exhibition was going to end was going to open um, a month before the election, and while we didn't want to make a show about the election or about you know a particular president, um, we were definitely thinking about to Diana's point how, on one level, the word unprecedented kind of kept getting thrown around um, in you know in news outlets and, and those kinds of things. It is on another level. Yeah, exactly. But you know, this, this idea of unprecedented continues, right, to be thrown around. Um, but there are also moments that um, have occurred over the last couple of years that we can certainly say is not necessarily unprecedented, right? Like the you know the, the rhetoric, the um, the dog whistling. I mean, there there are things that have been used or said uh, over the last couple of years that are certainly not necessarily new. And so we were really kind of intrigued or inspired, I think, by this idea of um, you know, how history informs the present. We were really thinking about, um, you know, how does that play out both in the kind of larger um, moment or the, the larger thinking about uh, what's going on in the world right now, but also um, how that also plays out in real time in New Orleans, right? That New Orleans is a deeply historical city that, um, you know, likes to, or, or is uh, often kind of put in a position where they're, um, where the city is often kind of playing out that history, right, in, in real time. So we were kind of really kind of inspired by both um, what was happening kind of large, more largely, and then also how um, complex and beautiful and complicated the city of New Orleans is. And layered. And layered. Um, and layered. Yeah, I, I, you know, a lot of people come here their first time and fall in love and, you know, start hunting for apartments right away. And I always tell them, okay, I know it's a wonderful place. I'm originally from uh, the South Bronx, which I didn't claim until um, Cardi B and AOS came along. And now I, and now I, uh, yes. now I'm not, uh, you know, yes. so hesitant to say <laughs> the truth about my origins, but um, it's, uh, it's a place that um, I often say the past is not past. It is very much a part of the present. Exactly. Um, I, I, as a New Yorker, as a city that um, was so culturally rich, uh, still think of New Orleans as even more so because it has retained so much of its cultural legacy and integrated it with innovation and the contemporary time. And you can't help but think about improvisation and what an incredible role it played and continues to play. And the fact that um, it evolved out of very rough times. We're coming out of 
not just the slavery and the civil war and, and the um, really horrible reconstruction period. And then you have what? Jazz, improvisation. And, and we see in history often this interplay between disasters, really bad times, and evolve out of it with um, incredible cultural developments. So I'm sure that didn't escape your attention. Definitely not. I mean, I think, um, you know, one of the things that we tried to do, you know, when we first started this project is, you know, just talk to as many artists and cultural stakeholders and people as possible. This is pre-pandemic days. So we can actually have in-person conversations. And, um, you know, Diana likes to call it kind of this listening tour. Uh, we both like to really think about it as a listening tour. Um, not because we, we ever felt like we could truly ever really capture the city, but just to even get like a, a piece, um, knowing that we're both not from the city, not from New Orleans, um, but how can we have as many conversations as possible about the, like you said, that the, the idea that um, history is playing itself out, you know, every single day in the city in many different ways. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the, the show really began as a series of, of conversations between Diana and I, um, and also, you know, really thinking about, again, a historical moment that we were in, and in a lot of ways we're still in. Um, and you know, also, of course, you know, deeply informed by conversations with artists and how they're thinking about history. Um, and also really thinking about the history of prospect. Um, we, you know, when we began the exhibition, we realized that the show would have opened, you know, 15 years after, um, you know, Hurricane Katrina. And so for us, you know, not that we wanted to uh, tell, you know, New Orleans residents about, you know, the devastation of Katrina or, or remind them at all, but just to say we were kind of thinking about these kind of markers in history, you know, ones that really kind of changed the conversation about um, how we, you know, treat, you know, our fellow, you know, man. So I think that, um, you know, these were all just the kind of early ideas, you know, that, that Diane and I were talking about literally at the, the dining room table that I'm sitting at. Yeah. Right. I was going to save this question for later, but um, I kind of feel like I want to touch on it right now. How, how would you compare the prospect triennial um, oeuvre altogether with other triennials that you're familiar with? So how is this different? How is it similar uh, in, in, in coming out of this um, particular swampy context of New Orleans? Humidity certainly sets it apart. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think, you know, I think there's a, two ways that it, or two kind of things that we thought a lot about. So one, I think it, it sits alongside shows like, I mean, Documenta, and now I think there are shows in the US that are, are starting to do this, but it alone is a show that takes on its, its city, right? That asks artists to kind of be in institutional context, but also to be in public spaces, non-traditional spaces, and engage with what's going on day to day there. Um, so I think that was, a, you know, as Naima kind of indicated, but that was just a huge influence for us thinking uh, about what it means to have a place be the protagonist for the show, right? Because every, you might see seven artists at one venue, but then you need to exit the front door and you're in the city and what happens between that door and the next door is pure improv. So to kind of think about that and, and you know, of course, New Orleans, you know, we've said it a couple of times, but, 
you know, a totally unique city and on the other hand, a quintessentially American city. And, and how do you hold those things in your hands and kind of honor what is distinct about it and, and look at it as a, also a place where daily life happens. So I think there's that aspect of it that is the kind of site responsiveness. And then I think there's the mandate of the show. And so I think one of the things that Naim and I were excited about is it, it is a zeitgeist show and that like all biennials, it's meant to tell you something about our moment, but it isn't um, bound by perimeters around emerging artists or hot young talent or strictly regional or city or this. It, it crosses and weaves together a lot of different mandates and priorities in a way that for us uh, kind of gave birth to a, a really textured show. So it's really intergenerational, you know, artists in their early 20s to artists, you know, in their 80s um, and really everywhere in between that, like quite, quite dispersed and some really beautiful intergenerational conversations. Um, and it's quite regionally diverse, um, but it has a really nice, strong anchor of artists that are based in New Orleans and sort of grows out from that. And very much, you know, I think lastly, I'll just say it's, you know, it's a show that is very much thinking about the African diaspora and how that has shaped the city and what ways of thinking about artistic practice that, that trace that line, what they look like and what they could think about and, and thinking really expansively within that, but there are a lot of influences in the show, if not outright kind of dialogues about that, I think. So I think those are the things that kind of set it apart. I mean, it's definitely of a global calendar, but, but I think it, it's, it's quite distinct in those, when you kind of put those things together. So I once had a very white uptown young man tell me in my um, um, previous nightlife years, who I would bump into at clubs, um, say, uh, Gene, you, you understand, Gene, that white people in New Orleans are African. I said, um, okay. They said, well, you know, when we leave New Orleans and we go elsewhere, we realize that we are not just white people like other places because the influence of the African diaspora is so powerful, not just for black people here, but for all people. And um, I buy that totally now that I've spent so many years here and I worked with a lot with music and uh, a lot of events that involve a, a wide range of, of people. Um, so you can't, uh, you can't um, own that moniker, you can't own that uh, mantle, but you, um, he, he, he said, uh, we ain't just white here in New Orleans, it's, it's a very a black city and it doesn't take very long to absorb and understand that. Um, now, in your selection of artists, tell me a little bit about that. Tell me about some of the people that, um, if you don't mind, I, I know you don't wanna single out uh, any artists, but um, nonetheless, uh, I would I'd love to have you, um, you know, maybe identify a couple of the ones that you just were blown away but by what they did. Gene, you're asking us to like to yeah, pick our favorite child. I know all our babies. I'm not asking for your favors. I'm just asking you to give me a sampling of a couple of the works or artists that you think exemplify what you were trying to accomplish. How's that? <laughs> well, 
Well, I would say before uh-huh. we, to, no, just to say like before we, you know, choose any one particular or a, a few particular artists, I think um, one of the things we're really excited about doing for this exhibition is actually invite us, inviting artists who had participated in Prospect One um, to participate in Prospect Five. So for us, you know, inviting Neri Ward and Mark Bradford and Dave McKenzie and Willie Birch and, you know, Wangeshi Mutu and, you know, inviting them back um, so many years after they had participated in the, you know, the first um, prospect was really both a nod to prospect one and the history of prospect itself, but also just kind of the, you know, the, the evolution of the conversation, right? Like when they presented their work the first time, there were certain kind of urgent issues that they wanted to address either something about the city or just in their practice. And then just kind of having an opportunity to kind of revisit um, but be invited to revisit that, but then also a lot of them kind of, you know, completely submitting something different um, was was really exciting for us, I think, to kind of think about like, just again, the the arc, right? That mm-hmm. from one to five and, and what's different and how they present their work differently and what kind of conversations they want to enter into. So I think it was really interesting to engage with artists who had kind of already been through the kind of prospect process and understand how um, like with Neri, for example, wanting to kind of take the original music that he had um, used for his Prospect One piece and, and kind of incorporate that into his Prospect five, five piece provided a connection, but they're two very different works. So it's just interesting to, like I said, to be able to reflect on the, the, the role that Prospect played um, in, in their practice um, this time around, I think was, so think about those kind of five artists as a cohort. Um, and us being spent so much time with Mr. Birch, for example, and um, talk about, you know, and, and, and it's almost fun, it's almost interesting because when we first started visiting Mr. Birch, it was very early on in our visit to New Orleans to when, you know, when we were making the selections for the show, you know, he was pointing out, you know, parts of the city that we now could recognize, right? Like we can, he was like, oh, this is on St. Claude or this is, you know, and it was like interesting to kind of also for us, for our evolution of our relationship with the city. Um, and us to be able to kind of have uh, more um, rooted conversations about the city and the history of the city with him um, through oh, our own. So that, that leads me to one of the other questions that uh, was on my mind. And h- how did your experience here, uh, both with the city, with the artists, with the work, um, change you? No, it's it's real. And I, you know, this is probably one of the first conversations. I mean, it almost feels like we just finished talking about the show uh, abstractly, speculatively, as we were installing it, like we did a round of interviews. And so we've only, you know, the show, we installed our last exhibits December 11th, you know, so, so the show has only been in its cohesive form really for a month. And I think it's, it's really interesting to sit with you now that now that the show is is realized because I think there was a lot of ideas in the show that that played out but there's something about the presence of the show that was you know it it to my mind it did the thing where the the sum is greater than its parts and so these kind of incredible works of art that you know many of these artists worked on you know over the course of the entire last year like you can see the extra time and they're very handmade, a lot of labor and, and love went into the works and you really see that ambition. And I think there's a really rich tactility to the show and a really a presence to the show that I think 
was surprising to kind of see because like everyone else we're on we're all digital two-dimensional jpeg zoom faces so it was kind of like wild to really unpack crates and see objects and like just so much resonance and, and richness and vitality so just to say it's like an interesting time to kind of talk to you to, to on a little bit the other side you know mm -hmm. um but I was, you know, um, talking to my therapist this week about this show. <laughs> and I think, you know, I think on a, uh, I mean, on every level, I think it's such a profound experience to put a biennial together. Um, generally, you know, you're really creating a kind of uh, bringing to life a kind of momentary community through works. And I think for us, uh, you know, it's been such a long process and so many conversations and such a, an intimate moment to go through with artists and, and or their estates or their people to kind of have conversations with people who are in the pandemic, who are in the election, who are in the uprising, who are just, we have been through a lot with these folks kind of side by side trying to talk through this moment. And so I think that has been super profound and, and you know, just to be part of this community that we made and, you know, Naima and I speak every day, multiple times a day, but like, this has truly been uh, an, a journey. I mean, you know, it's such a cliche term, but it's been a journey. We really couldn't have predicted how this would have gone. And I think in particular, I feel like somebody who has no connection to the South, no connection to New Orleans, I think just, I feel incredibly privileged to have had such a long I don't know, and strange romance with the city and truly gotten to know parts of it in ways that I think would never have been available to me. And to just experience the generosity and hospitality and humor and shit talking and creativity of all of the artists and culture bearers and folks like you and just people, like it's been an incredible privilege to just get to engage so deeply. I can't think of another city in the US that I would want to have spent this kind of time with or to be privy to in this moment. So I think we'll spend a lot of time probably recovering and processing and seeing where this takes us. But I think we're different and better curators on that on the backside of this for sure, if not people. No, definitely. I think, um, you know, I think it's definitely, the show, because your question really, Gene, is around like how it's impacted, how it's affected us, right? Like how, you talk about the show or in, well, I would say that it's- oh, I said oh, uh, the experience with the city and the artists in the show, yeah. Um, the, the, the combination. Yeah, I think that it's, it's forced us to be nimble in a way that we wouldn't normally have to be, right? So, you know, Diane and I have a long track record of organizing exhibitions in museums, right? So the, the, the space that we're, while the projects may change and what artists wanna do may change, um, even over the course of when you're working with them, the space itself doesn't change, right? Like, so, you know, Diana was working at the Perez Art Museum in Miami, but, you know, in along working, in terms of working on this show, uh, whether or not it was because of the hurricane, whether or not it was because of the pandemic, whether or not it's just the availability of the space, there were so many different factors to consider. Um, you know, in organizing the show. So it was like, we could have had one venue in mind and then the venue was sold or we could have had, or there was damage because of the hurricane or, you know, it's just, it required a level of um, flexibility and openness yeah. um, that I think made us 
stronger curators, but definitely, uh, you know, really made us um, think about, um, you know, how a work is staged and where a work is, you know, all these different kinds of questions. I mean, there were some artists that went through four or five, you know, different venues um, before we landed on the final spot. And I think in the end, I think we ended up, you know, everyone kind of ended up where they needed to go. Um, but that process, you know, of just um, finding those spaces and, and negotiating uh, what certain pieces were going to look like um, was was just a, <laughs> a a roller coaster at times. Yeah, it's just such a process oriented exhibition, and it just—I mean, I think it's like we all learned a kind of nimbleness in the last couple of years, and I think just a total letting go of all expectations, right? And what does that yield? Because I think that, you know, even this week, like, you know, four weeks ago, we were planning a certain kind of closing event. Two weeks ago, we were talking about canceling it. Today, we're managing capacity. I mean, it's, I think it's just been uh, kind of trying to think about that and the intellectual labor that you kind of do combined with the logistics, how do you square those things and what do they teach you and how do they inform each other? I think that's really been something uh, uh, we couldn't have predicted, I think. Yeah, I, I would have to say that that describes what um, we've all been living through here. Uh, and yeah. um, you know a lot of people right after Ida, uh, uh, the storm were um, really trying to process that because it was, uh, it was a very ambiguous event. You know, one minute it sounded like it was gonna be just uh, one of the worst storms ever. It was one of the worst storms ever for the lower coast of the state. Yeah. Uh, then we had the impression, well, it didn't really hit New Orleans. And then you started driving around the city and seeing blue roofs everywhere. Yeah. And you realized, oh, actually we did take a hit. Um, and then, uh, you know, you, I know in, in my particular instance, we live on Esplanade, which is a higher part of the city. And, and we, we chose it when my husband came here in the beginning, he was doing redevelopment of the coast of Mississippi after Camille. So we learned a lot about sea level and, and um, you know, elevation. And so when I chose this, he said, yeah, okay. Uh, he checked it out and he said, we, we can live here. However, um, I, I'm not very fond of all that humidity, so power outages are scary. So I tried to uh, book us out of that into a hotel thinking, oh, hotels will have power. Well, let me tell you something, just so you know, they only have power in the hallways, not in the rooms. Mm -hmm. So we wound up soaking wet overnight in a hotel. We come back to the house where we actually had a generator it, it was working for a while, then it wasn't working. Then we decided to get out of here and go stay with friends in Mississippi and then come back. It was that same kind of bouncing ball, ping pong game of, uh, and, and by the time you get finished with it, it was like, where am I? And a psychologist that I had on my show during that time said, when you're faced with serious um, trauma and catastrophe, your system slows down. Cause we were all trying to figure out why are we moving so slowly? We yeah. were moving slowly. And she said, your system does that deliberately so that you can absorb and deal with the trauma. So it wasn't necessarily trauma for you all, but in a certain way it was because it was challenging all of your assumptions about how you get a project like that done. Am I right? Yeah, and I think for our staff, you know, Naima and I live in California, but you know, our staff is in New Orleans, the installers we worked with, 
you know, many of our artists, all of our vendors. So I think we also tried to just be super as sensitive as possible to the, you know, like, and I think when it was August, you know, that, that first week, I think there was like, are we even doing that? You know, like you initially you kind of, you don't know. And I think, as you said, it was sort of ambiguous what happened and it kind of disappeared from the national news super quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was obvious on the ground. But they have catastrophe was, fatigue. Yeah, and it wasn't catastrophic. It didn't have the appearance of catastrophe and it wasn't possible to, you know, if you haven't been in New Orleans and you don't know it on an August day without air conditioning, without gas, you can't get out of the city. You know, if you haven't to think through what it means to have every drugstore in the city closed for a week and what that does and what that does to an aging population, all these kinds of questions, I think, you know, we sort of were really keeping our ear to the ground to try and understand, but it was hard to comprehend from a distance. Yeah. And I think we just didn't know if it was the right thing to do to do the show. And I think very, you know, we reached out before, after, during to all of our artists. And it was like kind of really incredible how quickly they were like, well, the thing I'm looking forward to or the thing we have to do is this show. Because it's sort of like there is this impulse to to get back up and do the thing, but it, but it definitely, you know, I think we were all, our team, like bless them. They were incredible and the installers, just, you know, and LB in particular who, who managed the show and Samantha, everybody, I mean, you know, it was just so complicated and the energy level was so variable. So to kind of pull through that, I think was really, yeah, kind I mean, of like I, a barometer before a, a storm itself. Let me go to, uh, uh, um, we're going to run out of time pretty soon, but I have a really important question. What do you hope those people who were able to get to your exhibits, to see the work of your artists uh, that were shown, uh, what do you hope their takeaways from the experience they had with the art that you selected um, will be? What, what, what was their experience? Uh, um, like do you think what, what were you hoping for <laughs> um that's that's question. Question. it's funny enough we have actually never been asked that question so it's it's kind of like you know you get a question for the first time um I, well I, let, I, let me help you for a minute let me just say that for me <laughs> i was taken by the incredible combination of very tough material, very strong, powerful work, but also the beauty of the work. And that's not necessarily an easy combination. Um, and I, I, I work with a lot of very conceptual artists who have a, something to say, uh, but they're not necessarily that aesthetically oriented. Mm. And I thought a lot of the work that you all um, brought together in this in this show uh, managed to accomplish that. It managed to accomplish very substantive messaging, uh, but also with um, the aesthetics that uh, many people still look for. Yeah, thank you, Jean. Yeah, it's really nice to hear. I mean, I think. Yeah, I think it's a show that has a lot of tough ideas and, and a lot of ideas and research and kind of uh, went into it, but it's a it's a deeply made show. Like there's a real reflection of, of artistic presence. And I, I think for me, 
uh, you know, and I'm, I'm curious, what, but you know, for me, I think it's a really, it's a deeply felt show. Like that has been my impression. Like I feel deeply moved in many, many ways when I am in the various exhibitions and projects. I feel a kind of, yeah, a kind of ability to speak with, with so, such earnestness around such complexity, but also to, to create kind of these, these moments of just the, the utmost creative expression, just uh, the kind of idea that people have truly put themselves into this work and what it truly means to make something. And, and how much time is contained within each object and, and in the way in which they're a testament to being in the face of a world that for many of us, the world does not want us to be here, right? I think that was so much of what happened in the show. For me, it was just seeing these kind of modes of, of incredible resistance, but through intimacy and through lived experience and through intellectual work and through culture bearing and, and tradition. So for me, I think there was just something about being in the presence of that together that felt really powerful as we were kind of opening different exhibitions. So that was sort of my, what I saw people starting to take away and what I felt like I was taking away was to, to, to be moved again by art and, and by the public experience of, of communally seeing art. I think- Emma. What I hope people walk away um, with is just, you know, this sense of um, it, what has struck me, I guess, when I've been seeing the show over and over and over again, and, and also just like seeing the works over and over and again, is just how inspired in so many different ways the artists were by the city of New Orleans, right? That like, you know, from EJ's, you know, fascination with jazz land to, you know, Kevin's decision to buy land in the lower ninth to, you know, it was just, there were so many um, different, I think, responses to the city um, in ways that I really appreciated, right? Like I think, um, you know, oftentimes when people come down to New Orleans, they're kind of like, oh yeah, you know, we want to, you know, the French Quarter and the lower, you know, the, Bourbon Street, you know, they, they kind of want to go to the same places, you know, over and over again. And to have artists, um, you know, come down and, and want to make work about different aspects or different parts um, of either historical moments or different parts of the city, I think was, um, I hope a reminder, I think, to the people who see the show that there are just so many different things about the city that, that have yet to be understood, right? Like yet to be, because a lot of people I'm sure had never even heard of, outside of New Orleans, had even heard of Jazzland, right? Before maybe seeing EJ's project and kind of understanding like, oh yeah, you know, the sign was still up and you know, all that kind of stuff. So I think that there's, um, I don't know. I think that pe hopefully people walk away um, appreciating just how inspired they were um, by the city and how they really did, even though it wasn't like a assignment of ours, like you didn't obviously have to make work in response to the city, but just in the ways in which they were able to, um, you know, visit and, and really think um, and really be inspired, like I said, enough to want to make work about um, such an amazing place.
We are about out of time. I hate to say it because I could go on with you guys for quite a while and, and, and just have uh, dipped uh, my toe into your perspective. But um, um, very quick closing words. I just want to, um, you know, what didn't we cover? What, what do you want to share um, with, you know, my audience? I don't know if you know what this radio show is about, but it is the urban station in New Orleans. Um, I am the only black I'm the only white host on the um, on the air on this station. Um, my audience is a little more diverse because I'm one of the few cultural culturally oriented programs in the city. Um, but I would um, uh, want you to know that uh, I deliberately bring the kind of material that we do to uh, our audience. Um, so just you know last sentences or two from, from you all that I did not touch on. Or, or maybe I touched on just some, any, anything you want to say. You're muted. I think it's just to say, you know, come see this show. There's one yeah. more week. It's an incredible show. People put so much into it. We are just so, uh, you know, in awe and gratitude of the city and our partners and all these incredible venues. And it's such an incredible way to see and and re-see the city, I think, through the eyes of these artists. So I really hope that folks in New Orleans get a chance to do that. I think it it is revelatory if it's your first time in New Orleans or if you've been there for a long time. So I do hope that folks get to experience it. Me too. That's why we're doing this. And yeah, some other exact same thing. Go out and show. We'll just say I'll do the exact same thing where it encourages many people as possible to see the show and see it again. And uh, like I said, we're, we're hoping that a couple of pieces get to stay in a city long-term. So there'll be plenty of opportunity to um, not just see it in this context, but like kind of come back over and over and over again um, to see a few works. Well, I hope you guys will get back. And um, by the way, I would love if, if you would pass by the 2300 block of Esplanade and you'll see a lot of um, red objects throughout the sculpture garden around my house that Bob Tannen did. I think you'll get a kick out of it. So um, uh, bear with me, uh, have patience with me in inviting you, but I, I hope that maybe you can pass by while you're here. You are coming in, right? Yeah, we'll both be here next week. Yeah. Good, all right, so please please come by, 2326 Esplanade. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for what you did, for doing such a fantastic job. I, I really... Um, it's my favorite, I have to be honest, uh, of all of the prospects, and um, <laughs> it's just a fact, and uh, I uh, hope you will find uh, excuses to do more things here. And I have been talking with Diana Nawi and Naima Keith, who were the curators for Prospect 5, um, a triennial that we are very lucky to have in this city. We were, was brought here by Dan Cameron originally in, in uh, P1 right after the storm went through a kind of stormy period and, and survived it. And um, it reflects the resilience that we're so well known for here. Come on back guys. Oh, you know what they say down here? Wait, how does it go? Uh, Y'all come back and see us. <laughs> how do I say <laughs> that? No. I'm not sure. Yeah, thank you so much, Jean. We really appreciate it. Right. Thank Take you. Bye-bye. Okay, so. Um, Anastasia Pilius has been doing extraordinary and beautiful work um, uh, in this city and in other locations for a long time. We're not going to say how long. 
but um, um, really long yeah. enough to uh, be really developing um, some really interesting ideas and in, in what she does. Um, hold on a second. The one thing is, guys, you can't talk at all while I'm on the call because it's going to pick you up. I'm so sorry. Okay, so let me start again. Anastasia Peleus has been doing some very extraordinary and beautiful work for a long time here in New Orleans and in other places. Um, and her, I'm going to let her tell you what has informed her work. Uh, because it's, it's, it's a number of different resources, including her own um, background, but um, and her experience as an artist in New Orleans. So I'm going to kind of leave it at that. She's one of the official artists for Prospect, which is ending um, this weekend. And uh, I think it's really important that you get out to see her work, which is spectacular. And I hope we can organize to keep it on Esplanade Avenue. I would hate for it to move from that location. It looks so beautiful there. It just makes that park so much more important than it was. So Anastasia, tell me a little bit about how um, your art shaped over the years. Well, I'm, I'm very succinct, so I'll just say Greece. My mother's from an island in the northern Aegean, and she's, she's this Greek island woman who moved to New Orleans, and that Greek heritage, my father is also Greek. My grandparents were born in the um, center of Greece, in the Peloponnese. So I come from a very Greek family, but my father's very New Orleanian as well. So I would say New Orleans and Greece are the two main things that shape my work. And being female also shapes my work. But um, yeah, and so New Orleans and Greece, they're both, they're both uh, cultures who rely on ritual for their very existence. And so my work has a lot to do with ritual and I'm, I'm very interested in, in ideas around ritual, especially in so this- I, I'm intrigued about ritual because ritual is something I don't really understand well. Um, it interests me. I, I enjoy certain aspects of it. I was raised Catholic, so I was raised with ritual. I, I am not a, a practicing a religion anymore other than existentialism. But um, I, I, I do think there is something um, important for our um, comfort with the world uh, in ritual. But explain to me why ritual is important to you. Well, I mean, you grew up Catholic, Catholic, I grew up Greek Orthodox, but I guess the difference between us is it really stuck with me. So um, just the, the pageantry of, I don't think the Greeks would like it if I said that, but there is a lot of uh, gold and costumes and chanting sounds and scents and all kinds of things. And it just, it made a, a huge impression on me. And then I lived three blocks from the parade route. So I have the pageantry of New Orleans, Mardi Gras, my God. Like, it's like, I just feel so blessed to be from two very rich cultures. Like it's, you know, I almost had to be an artist. <laughs> Uh, let's talk about the, the Greek element of, of um, your experience and your culture. Um, you're not the only major Greek artist that I know. Linda Benglis, um, who's a good friend of mine, is, is another um, Greek uh, uh, artist who um, I, don't, I don't think her Greek origins are as important, or maybe they are. I've, I've actually never asked her that question. 
So um, I don't know the answer to it, but um, tell me what it is about um, your Greek heritage that you would uh, single out as um, important factors in how um, you, you uh, develop your work. Okay, and but first I do wanna say, apropos of Linda Benglis, that she and I, many years apart, had the same professor at Newcomb College at Tulane. And he was um, thrilled with the idea that he had two Greek American artists uh, under, you know, who he took under his wing. So I just, I feel connected to her through him, although he's been gone for many years, but his name was Hal Carney and he was very important to me. And I know he was very important to her as well. So now I forgot your question. So tell me what it is. So, so how, how, how do you, how would you express how the Greek um, uh, elements of your experience of your, of your raising has informed your work? Well, I guess I should talk specifically about this piece, which is um, called, It Was My Pleasure. And it's, uh, the installation is a multi-sensory installation involving sculpture, paint, a painted landscape, soundscape, and a scent. And um, it's directly informed from, uh, it's a reimagining of the Oracle at Delphi, who for a thousand years, while everyone thought men ruled the world, in effect, a woman ruled the world. And there's been a lot of research uh, done around the, uh, the Delphic Oracles or uh, Pythia, as they were called in Greek. And um, I love that that, uh, that research is, is being looked at in a different way now. There's actually some female people doing research. And I, I do, uh, you know, men wrote history, so it, it's said to have been one thing, but I'm very interested in the femaleness of, of this piece and the fact that it is directly referencing, it's not literal at all, it's shape, I just made, I made up the shape, but the Oracle did sit on a tripod and of course you've seen the piece and um, it is a three-legged piece, but it's not trying to be any sort of uh, literal interpretation of what happened. But, um, but everything about the piece, the scent, it was said that she, that the, uh, the Oracle, the priestess, uh, breathed in sweet vapors and went into a trance and gave her readings to these men. Only men were allowed to do the readings, by the way, around once a month. But um, she, uh, so I, I randomly, or this is just how life works, I, I received an invitation to collaborate with a French perfumer um, who, uh, you know, and, and <laughs> it was just this beautiful unfolding of events. So I got to create a scent for the piece. Um, I have a friend who's- I, I want everybody to understand that you're saying the word scent, S-C-E-N-C. -E. Yeah, like perfume, yeah, well, yeah. It's a surprise to have a scent associated with the sculpture. Yeah, I, I hope it's a pleasant surprise. I, I love it. And um, people have really responded to it. Um, in fact, I get midnight texts sometimes from people who run out of it who need some more. <laughs> so uh, that was a beautiful collaboration just to work with a perfumer. I'd never, you know, I'd never done that before. Um, the soundscape, uh, which to me sounds at once like ancient Greece, ancient Delphi, and also sounds like aliens might've just landed nearby. <laughs> um, that soundscape I did with, uh, I did not do it. I, I collaborated with uh, Sophocles Arbenites, who is an Athenian composer. So that was a beautiful experience working with him because 
he's Athenian. He grew up studying the Delta Oracle the way we study, you know, Abraham Lincoln or whatever. So he he was the perfect choice for that. And we worked together for two years, um, taking six and a half hours of sound and uh, make a. Uh, it's I think it's a twenty minute loop now. So yeah, it's all. Um, Everything relates back to the oracle. Even the fact that in the, the magenta mulch, uh, I have bay leaf, which I actually cut from my own bay leaf tree, which survived Katrina. <laughs> and, um, but bay leaf, which as you know, is very important in New Orleans cuisine, but it was also very important to the Delphic oracle. So really the bay leaf is what, was, is what the neighborhood, the site and the bay leaf are what tie this piece, connect this piece, uh, connect Greece to New Orleans within this piece. Well, it's so interesting because of course, a lot of the theme of this particular prospect has been about the sense of place and the importance of place. And, and the, uh, um, the curators who are on the show with you uh, also talked about that and how important uh, they perceived place is for us in New Orleans um, and, and maybe more so than uh, many places, although um, I, I certainly come from somewhere else originally, and um, I have links to my uh, place of origin that are, are strong, and even where my family, I had a lot of uh, family that lived in, in New Jersey, in the country, and I, I have still a very strong sense of who I am based on my experience with my family in the country. But um, I... Um, I, you know, the Greek presence in New Orleans is a lot stronger than most people realize. Right. Um, uh, in fact, I live just three blocks away from, I think, what was kind of the mothership, yeah. um, in a sense, right? Yeah. So the church where I grew up going, <laughs> which I think my grandparents were one of the founders or great grand or something, but um, they, it is the oldest Greek church in the United States. I mean, that's kind of a deal. What? I didn't know that. Yes. So, wow. so my mother, who is still an avid churchgoer and sings in the choir and does all that stuff. When we were little, she would drag the four kids two or three times a week to church to do Sunday school, church, and Greek school. And so that is why, that's another reason why that site is so important to me. I'm so connected to that neighborhood. I grew up going there all the time. And I have, you know, nobody, no, no child likes to go to church really, but I do have some fond memories of the icons and the incense and the way, you know, just the way it looked, the way it felt, how I felt within that space. Um, so, and also the, the neighborhood that you're in and that my sculpture is in uh, used to be, was called Greek Town at one point. Say that again? It, the, the neighborhood was called Greek Town. Greek town. Greek town. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah, well, they, you know, how they moved around the church. They, they wanted to live near the church. So there were a bunch of Greeks living in the neighborhood. And you know, hmm. my house is on the corner of Crete. Um, yeah. That's why yeah. Crete. So it's, it's all, it's all very, um, very tied together. Not to mention, actually, throughout the whole city, Greek names are, are very important. They're part of that whole. Uh, I, I've always associated it more with the Mardi Gras culture, but um, uh, because of the uh, a lot of Mardi Gras culture here uh, derives from Greek mythology, and um, as do all yeah. our street names. But, you know, the more I think about it, the more I, I realize how pervasive the influence is. It's really 
I, I didn't necessarily connect the whole streets and, and crews um, uh, with our conversation about your work. Uh, tell me a little bit more about um, your work. Uh, give me a, just give our audience a few examples of, of what your work is like, uh, because obviously we're talking about it and, and someday I will have figured out how to do B-roll on radio. I haven't quite gotten there yet, but it's, it's coming. Um, but uh, give people a little bit of a sense of what your work is like and tell me about what, what's the next thing you're gonna do. I'm always interested in the next, uh, the mo next move. Oh yeah, um, so I'm a painter. I'm, I was trained as a painter. I consider myself a painter first and I consider everything I, I do painting. It's just the way I think, it's the way I like to think. So my work's very, I, I make large scale. Um, I mean, I've, I've been showing my work since I was in my early twenties, so, um, or, or 20. So um, large oil, oil paintings on canvas and they're very, they're abstract for the most part. I'm an abstract painter, but they're very content heavy abstraction. So, um, and a lot of my work relates to the body, even the size, uh, the way I built that installation, the, it was my pleasure. I built that site responsibly, not just site specifically, but it, I like to respond to the site. Like that sculpture was built to sit under that oak tree. And the way I paint, I like to um, envision where the paintings are gonna go or what the paintings are about. I mean, the scale is very important to me. The fact that I call them human sized, I like that the viewer can be with the painting and relate to the painting, not look down on it or not look up at it. So I love, you know, around seven, six foot painting. And um, I have a show up right now at Jonathan Ferrara Gallery um, called Anastasia Screamed in Vain, um, Painting on Lost Longing and Love. Um, so obviously that's- so, so people have two places they can go to see your work uh, right now. And uh, one is this incredibly beautiful um, uh, piece that is um, redefine a place right across from um, the you know the restaurants that we all go to Degas and um, Santa Fe and then um, uh, also in Ferrara's gallery on Julia Street. Um, Anastasia, we're just about out of time, and um, I hope that I covered what you would like me to. But is there something you would like to add as we close out? Yeah, I would. I would like to say that something that really stands out for me in this piece and just having the opportunity to make this really elaborate and complex project. <laughs> I mean, multi-sensory is one thing, but I mean, this was, you know, in the pandemic world that we're all living in and then post Ida and to, to I just, I work with such amazing people, but the one thing, the, the thing that I love the most about this piece is that it is there for everyone, it's accessible to everyone. It's not in a closed space. You don't have to pay admission. And I really, I feel that people have really felt that they were welcome there. And so I, I love that. And I love that Prospect brings those opportunities to New Orleans and brought it to me by inviting me to be in this beautiful um, triennial. Well, ditto to all of that. And I sure hope that somehow we can maybe keep it where it is, because I'm sure there are other places in town that would love to have it because it is so beautiful, but um, I'd love to see it stay on in that location on, on Esplanade because I think that park is an important park and I don't think it's ever gotten uh, kind of the, the uh, attention that it deserves and you have brought it there. Anastasia Pilius, artist, 
New Orleanian, Greek, and um, woman. And I've enjoyed talking with you as, as always and look forward to my next opportunity. Me too. Thanks. Take care. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of Prospect through this weekend. Yeah. Okay. Bye-bye. So um, I'm up in the corner of the screen for reasons that have to do with me not knowing how to do um, a Zoom on my phone, but I just want to say thank you everybody who was listening today. And um, this is Crosstown Conversations. This is Jean Nathan on WBOK, what everybody's talking about. And um, well, we'll visit again next week.